Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. This week we're taking a look at the characters of the world of Star Trek, but instead of focusing on Kirk, Spock, Picard, Sisko, or Janeway, or Archer, I guess, we're looking at recurring characters. Actors in smaller roles, but ones that were so memorable that that character just had to return, and in many cases, found new life with authors and creators telling new stories about them in other media. I present to you my top ten, maybe a little fudging there, uh, but anyway, top ten favorite recurring characters from Star Trek shows, and with that, let's get underway. So we've got a little discovery news to talk about, and no, it's not that McFarland Toys has been commissioned by CBS Consumer Products to create action figures and accessories for the new show. That's great. I can't wait to not be able to afford toys from the new show. And it's not that some fans are speculating that Senequa Martin-Green's Discovery character, Michael Burnham, may be Spock's secret sister, as she's got a little Vulcan haircut there as a child in that trailer and seems pretty familiar with Sarek, so that one might turn out to be true. Nor is it the news, the true news, that Rain Wilson will appear as Harcourt Fenton Mudd in nine, count them, nine episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Wow. That's enough screen time to gain and lose his master's license a couple of times. Maybe we'll see where he gets that hat or the failed psychiatric treatment that makes him think he can pull it off. No, it's that some Trek fans online, specifically male white ones, I'm guessing, are upset with what they see as a lack of white males in the Discovery trailer and the new Discovery series. And I'm saying trailer in this case because no one has actually seen the new series and knows what's to come. But Discovery's YouTube page has been hit with a lot of comments accusing the show of pushing political correctness, forced diversity, and cultural Marxism, all quotes, on its audience. And over on Twitter, I think the rage thermometer has reached the level of accusations of white genocide from racist commentators. When I say racist, this isn't a value judgment on my part, although if you ask for my judgment, I'd call them racist. No, the hilarious truth is that essentially all the unbiased outlets who are reporting on this are using the word racist in their article titles, which is probably a more clickable link, but still, it's interesting that there's a consensus on that. This criticism targets the aforementioned Green, as well as the new character, Lieutenant Saru, played by Doug Jones, a gay man. Oh, I forgot to say homophobic racists earlier. And specifically the casting of Michelle Yeoh as Captain Georgiou and the actress's use of her native Malaysian accent. One Twitter user calls the show SJW, that is Social Justice Warrior, The Next Generation. I'd watch that. That sounds pretty good. Idiots have, if you remember, levied similar accusations against The Force Awakens two years ago when a black man and a white woman were the heroes of the new movie. That's a first for the Star Wars franchise, so it's nice to know that idiots exist in that fandom as well, but shouldn't Trek fans be more open-minded? There's an initialism that has been connected to this series for a long time, which is IDIC, and it means infinite diversity in infinite combinations. And there's a quote from Roddenberry that I've seen going around, uh, he's got a lot of quotes, uh, some of whom are probably something along the lines of, um, when do you get off of work? But this one is uh, important, and it goes like this. Star Trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. He goes on to say, if we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences, to take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that is almost certainly out there. 
And I think that's what it's all about. And I think that those two words, maturity and wisdom, and of course, he'd never met the internet, are things that we need to focus on in this time when you are just trying to tolerate people like this who don't deserve a new show and they don't deserve to be fans of a franchise that they clearly don't understand. There's another guy from the original show who has a lot to say all the time, and that's George Takei. And he was being interviewed for a um, news program the other day, ostensibly about something else. But of course, it became about this because that's what was going on at the time. But Takei said, quote, today in this and I won't do the voice. I really want to, but I won't. Today in this society, we have alien life forms we call trolls. These trolls carry on without knowing what they're talking about and knowing even less about the history of what they're talking about. Unquote. And I think that that is true. So in that spirit, our top comment from social media this week, which we're doing a little early and a little sarcastically, comes from a Twitter user whose name we're going to withhold as to not incriminate him or her. But let's just say, looking at their feed, real big fan of Breitbart News. And they say, and this is at Star Trek CBS and at Senequa Martin Green, Star Trek Discovery of Feminism Edition? I loved Captain Janeway, but please don't ruin Star Trek with tons of political correctness. Well, I'd hope the contradiction is self-evident in that one, and I wish for more maturity and wisdom for a lot of confused Star Trek fans around the world right now. Congratulations, unnamed Twitter user. Your prize for the top comment is a lifetime supply of Catherine Janeway's Special Reserve Coffee. Just what you need to stay awake on that long flight back from the Delta Quadrant. I'm going to do a little plug right now. This is not actually a paid plug, but it's something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time, and I'm not sure if my listeners would be interested in it, but of course they are, because they are Star Trek nerds, and a lot of them play video games. And so I want to talk about the new Star Trek Bridge Crew VR video game that's just come out this week for PlayStation 4 and PC. If you're on Xbox, I think you're out of luck for now at least. But what Bridge Crew is, is a four-player VR sim where you, you get to be a crew member on a Starfleet starship. Now, before we get rolling, I'll tell you right now, the visuals are based on the rebooted J.J. Abrams movie series. Now, just prepare yourself. It was never not going to be that. Uh, I think there is actually a DLC or something you can do in the game where you can set it to play on a TOS bridge if you want. That's fun. But when they they were developing this, the movies were big. Um, visually, it's sort of an update, and so that's what this looks like. I mean, it looks good. I can say, as somebody who has watched three of those films, and for most of them has thought that it was, when I could see what was going on because of lens flares, uh, the whole thing just looked like an Apple store. Seeing it from the other side, seeing it from the captain's chair, oh, there's four chairs in this. Um, The four players can play captain, helmsman, engineering, and tactical. I'm starting to understand it. It looks a little more... um, usable than a bunch of yellow buttons. Uh, Everything in the game is a touchscreen display, of course, using the controllers. Your body is represented in the game, so you see yourself. Here's another fun thing. Sure, you can play with friends in the same room, but you can play online. So, say you're by yourself. You dial up to uh, whatever the online service is. In this case, you can tell I know a lot about this, and you can make a party. You can join with other people, other Star Trek fans across the world, and there they are. You see them right there. You see their virtual Starfleet representation, but they're right there. Also, if you don't want to play with other people, you misanthrope you, the computer takes over. The computer will provide you with AI crew members. 
the point of this game, and there was a video a little while back. There's a ton of videos now. If this sounds interesting to you, go to YouTube, search for Star Trek Bridge Crew. A lot of people have been playing this, but there was a video a while back that came from um, from E3 uh, in 2016 with LeVar Burton, Jerry Ryan, and Carl Urban all playing this game uh, with one of the Ubisoft uh, execs. Ubisoft is the publishing company, and it looks a lot of fun. Uh all the players have to cooperate. So the captain nominally gives orders. Um, the engineer and the tactical person deal with the systems on the ship, fire the weapons and such. And the helmsman has to steer the ship and go to warp and that sort of thing. And you'll have to work together to make it right in the sort of scenario that a lot of the videos you'll see on YouTube are about. It must be some sort of demo scenario. Uh, you command the USS Aegis, which is a prototype ship. Think the Enterprise only a little more squat. Like if the Enterprise is a warship, it's a frigate, you know, if you will. Uh, like Voyager to the Enterprise D, it's faster, more maneuverable. It's a scout ship. And in this scenario, you warp into a system. There, something has gone wrong. There is a stellar event or something like that happening, and all these escape pods have left this station, and you have to track down and rescue everyone from the escape pods which means scanning them, which means locking on your transporter signal and beaming them back. That all seems well and good until, Captain, I'm detecting a tachyon surge. You know what that means? Cloak ships. And a bunch of Klingon ships uncloak and tell you, get out of here or we're going to destroy you. At that point, it becomes a race against time and against your own resources as you try to beam back the survivors and fight the Klingons at the same time. And of course, when you fight the Klingons, you want your shields up, but say it with me, you can't beam when your shields are up. So you have to sort of balance between defending yourself against the Klingons and rescuing the people from the pods, too. And in any one of these videos, uh, you'll see that it works best when you're all working together. There was one demo in particular that I really enjoyed where the characters or the players, the literal human players, were all having fun and stuff. But they didn't realize how much they had to work together. And as the scenario goes on, they start to gel more and more as a team until... They realize the helmsman realizes this isn't a thing where it's a video game where I run around, I can shoot, I can make all the choices. No, I have I have to keep the ship pointed at the other ship or at least in a position where you can fire or I have to manage how fast we're going to continue to keep our firing solution or to. okay, we've destroyed that guy. Now we got to rush over and get some of these pods, save some of these people before the Klingons come back. So it looks like a lot of fun and you can have a lot of fun. Uh, as you'll see in the celebrity video, uh, playing the roles. Uh, <laughs> uh, LeVar Burton, who, no offense to the other two, is probably the most seasoned. Uh, he was doing a really good job. <laughs> he, he looked like Commander uh, Jordy LaForge, or Captain Jordy LaForge, uh, given, uh, get us to warp speed. I'm, I need some more power into the engines, and that sort of thing. It looks like a lot of fun. You might find the price more difficult to defeat than Klingons, though. On the PC, you can get it for the HTC Vive which is about $800. So you'll have to tell me how this is because I'm not going to be able to afford that anytime soon. It is available, of course, on the PS4 as well, on PSVR, which will run you about $400. You also need the camera and the little ice cream cone move sticks, which are about $100 a piece. I think you can get those all in a bundle for about $500. And the good news is, there is good news, is that both on the PlayStation and on the PC, Star Trek Bridge Crew is bundled with those VR systems. So you buy the system, you get the game. They're going to use this to sell a lot of systems, or as many as they can. They want to get that hardware out there by packaging it with great software. 
And this does look really, really great. Uh, reviews are good. Uh, the PC version is at about 80% on Metacritic, and the PlayStation version is about 75 So there are a lot of good comments about this. Uh, you can play uh, campaign mode in the uh, USS Aegis uh, that takes you through a story. Also, if you're done with that or if you want to do something else, there are procedurally generated missions, which sounds like a lot of fun. And before you ask, yes, there's a Kobayashi Maru scenario, so you definitely want to get your hands on this. I've been looking at it for a long time. It looks great. Star Trek Bridge Crew, check it out. Okay, let's get into it. I want to talk about my favorite, my top 10 recurring characters on any one of the Star Trek series. Let's set some ground rules. First, right off the bat, I have to disqualify a few people. Uh, the rule is kind of, let's say they have to be on more than two episodes. Remember, these are characters that are so great, they just had to bring them back. They had to tell more stories about these characters, and so two is not going to quite do it. So that means we got no Kalar, who's great. I mean, Susie Plaxon is great, but she's out. Uh, no Guardian of Forever, and no Sarah Silverman. Also disqualified from appearances, quote-unquote, in episodes, is anybody who appears in archival footage. So, like Commander Remick, for instance, is out, and Shades of Grey is, of course, best forgotten. I'm also flatly disqualifying Majel Barrett as Nurse Chapel, the voice of the computer, and Loixana Troy, mainly because, come on, she's the boss's wife. She's great, but it's not like we we're never going to see her again. I've heard O'Brien described as a recurring character come on the guy's a featured player on tng and he gets his own show so no he's out out also is guinan because anytime that you have and Whoopi goldberg as guinan at the end of the list of the cast come on she's already part of the show movies are out of this too because we're only doing the tv show so that means that Khan is out uh, sarek is basically out you get how this works and of course because of that rule I have to disqualify somebody who would have been in my top picks, uh, Amanda Grayson, played by Jane Wyatt on the original series, uh, Majel Barrett in the animated series, and Cynthia Blaise in the films that she's in. I think she's a great character. I think she deepens our understanding of Sarek and also Spock whenever she shows up, but she can't be in this. Yeah, I can be critical of myself, too. Although, she might be showing up in Discovery. She has to, doesn't she? This is the perfect, the exact right time. And they're probably going to try to cram, you know, early 20s Spock in there as well. The less said about that, the better. Let's get started. At number 10, and these are presented in little to no order of importance, is Lieutenant Kyle, played by John Winston in 11 episodes of the original series, uh, of course by James Doohan in a couple of the episodes of the animated series, and he did show up in a film. That's true. I picked Kyle because, you know, I like him, but he's really there to represent all the background or extra characters like Hadley, Brent, Riley, uh, Wallace, played by the patron saint of the extras, Guy Vardaman, or Youngblood, or, or the women characters like Jake Giddings, Kellogg, or Martine. You know, they're the cogs in the machine that make this ship go. And John Winston as Kyle is great. He's a great presence. As a background character, he's got a lot of personality. And he does seem like a guy who, you know, Kirk always talks about the, the men and women, the 400 men and women under my command. But he just seems like a guy who gets the job done. Oh, sure, maybe he'll get hit in the face with a flying uh, pancake uh, alien parasite or something every once in a while. But I, I feel like when if Kirk told that guy to get something done, he'd go off and do it. And that's who these cogs are. And we love seeing them week after week. Number nine is Janice Rand, played by Grace Lee Whitney in eight episodes of the original series and a couple of films and also on an episode of Voyager. Uh, Janice never worked perfectly as a character, 
And Grace Lee Whitney did not have a positive experience on her one season of the show. But the character returned, as did the actress, for four movies. And I think that's because people liked her. And and I like her, too. It's true that she never exactly got to be as active as some other female characters in later series did. But the fact that she and Kirk had this attraction that they couldn't act on because of their duties. I mean, it's cheesy, but it's a good old-fashioned melodrama of the romantic adventure type that it's really gone from later shows, and I like that. She's great in episodes like Charlie X and Mary, and she's got that chessboard-patterned beehive. Like, how is that even possible? Whitney passed away in May 2015, but before then, she appeared in many fan productions, like Star Trek of Gods and Men and an episode of Star Trek New Voyages. So there's plenty more Rand out there, and she'll be missed. Number eight is not one character, but three characters. Kang, Kor, and Koloth played by Michael Ansara, John Kolokos, and William Campbell, respectively. You gotta love these guys. And you also have to love the fact that in reaching back to its past, and not even, yeah, they had um, The Naked Now and DeForest Kelly, who, is he technically a recurring character if he just shows up in one scene of The Next Generation? But they weren't even doing the, the nostalgia thing on Next Gen. They showed up on DS9, like... That's a long way to call back to some characters that clearly had an effect on people, that people clearly remembered. And they didn't get the wrong makeup on. They even changed their makeup because, you know, the whole thing with the virus and all that. But it's great to see them come back. Blood Oath is a great episode. And Corey even gets to hang around and do a little more on DS9. So love those three. Number seven for me is Seska, played by Martha Hackett. Controversial choice? Maybe. I think that Seska is a great villain. She's a scheming villain, and she's a strong uh, antagonist for the show when it was in its early days, and it wasn't a complete mess yet. Um, it's like we're all trying to get home. Even the Maquis are on board. Let's all get together. We're going to get home. And she is just the most disagreeable person in the galaxy. We all know someone like that. And she tries to get Chakotay wrapped up in a Mori Povich thing with this other Kazon dude. She's bad news, and you love to hate her. A runner-up for this spot, if that makes any sense, would be the guy who's around uh, when she gets off, Lon Suter, played by the always fantastic Brad Dourif. I don't know how long Voyager could have gone with a murderous psychopath locked up on the ship, or how long Dourif could have hung out on the show before having to take some other work. He's always in demand. But that is a show I tune in for. Number six is T'Pau, played by Celia Lovsky in the original series, and by Betty Matsushita and Kara Zedeker in later episodes and appearances. She's the Vulcan elder that we first see in Amok Time, and Celia Levski, as we discuss in our upcoming episode of this show featuring Amok Time, was married to Peter Lorre way back in the day. She was apparently instrumental in getting him the role of the murderer in M by Fritz Lang, so thanks for that. She's also great as T'Pau, and it's a great episode, Amok Time. You know, we're just getting into the second season, we get some background finally on Spock, and it turns out that Vulcan is like the weirdest culture. It's so different than people at the time, even now, probably expected, and she plays it great. So much, you know, so majesty and just so strange. Um, and I guess I like her on Voyager when she's hiding in a cave or whatever, but make mine classic to pow. Number five is Mr. Hom, played by Carol Sturuckin in five episodes of Next Generation. I love Mr. Hom. He is, Carol Strickland is like seven feet tall. Uh, He plays Lurch, if you can believe it, in the Addams Family movies. And he also appeared on Twin Peaks as the giant. Go figure. 
And he's not just a guy who has an interesting physical characteristic, and that's why he's doing this. Like, when he's Mr. Hum, of course, he has very few, if any, lines. And he's so expressive, and he just, know, you know, he does such great things with his body. He's a great foil for uh, Loxana Troy because she talks constantly and he doesn't talk at all. And, like, his little business, oh, take a drink, hit the gong, <laughs> thank you for the drinks. Uh, he's fantastic in this. Uh, he's also great in Twin Peaks, um, and he's back. He's back in the new Twin Peaks. Wrong show, but if you're watching it, uh, definitely check him out there. So, yes, thank you, Mr. Hom. You're welcome. Number four goes to Bator and Lursa, the Duras sisters, played by Gwyneth Walsh and Barbara March. These, again, are villains that you love to hate, and I always love it when they show up. And they're also sympathetic villains. All villains think that they're the hero of their story, but... I like the fact that they, <laughs> for some reason, they are just Klingons who don't care about what other Klingons care about. And they are just trying to get wrench or trying to get power or just trying to get in there. And I think that if the situation had been right, they they could be fighting alongside our heroes. Like if they had made it out of generations, and they did not, sadly, although they were great in that, um, if they had made it to DS9 which I know they were on the first season of DS9, but I mean like later on, like if they made it to the the Dominion War, maybe they could have got their honor back. Maybe we could have convinced them that it was worth it to fight against the Dominion. They come in with the Klingons and they're off to the races. I'm thinking they probably would have ended up joining up with the fake Martok and getting killed when they attacked DS9. Um, But who knows? Who knows? The future was so open. R.I.P. Bator and Lursa. Number three, speaking of Klingons, is Gowron, played by Robert O'Reilly. I love Gowron. He was in four episodes of Next Generation and seven episodes of DS9. And the thing about Gowron is, again, I'm not sure that he's the perfect Klingon, but I do think that he is a good leader and a good politician. And I like the way that he thinks about those sorts of things. You look at Worf. Worf is Kalos's perfect man. He's going to follow all the tenets of honor, even when it's going to destroy him, following those tenets gets him excommunicated from the Klingon Empire early on. But Gowron is too smart to let anything like that happen. And he knows how to sort of bait people. He's persuasive. He's very calculating, which I think Klingons would definitely frown on, but it gets him where he is. It's his fatal flaw as well, because there's this very Shakespearean way uh, or aspect to him where he can't let things go. And like when Martok becomes more popular, it isn't like, well, great, I've got somebody to help me out. No, it's like, i got to get rid of this guy. And of course, that leads to his do- downfall. But he goes down swinging. He goes down on his principles. And you have to admire somebody for that, Klingon or no. Number two is Ro Laren, played by Michelle Forbes, in eight episodes of Next Generation through the fifth through the seventh seasons. This is a case where they have somebody come in and Paramount has done this before. You have somebody play a certain role and you go, wow, this we can't let this person out of the building. They have to stay here and so let's make a part for them. And they must have. If you'll remember, she played David Ogden Steer's daughter with the helicopter hair in that uh, one serious uh, Lixwana Troy episode. But she's just she's great. She's great as Ro. Um, of course, they explore all this in DS9 later, but it's a complicated character. It's a complicated setup. She comes from this formerly oppressed and controlled society, and she's resentful about that. But in Starfleet, you have to make nice with everybody. 
Um, they have to sort of make nice with the, with the Cardassians while also trying to help the Bajorans. And she's, she's caught in the middle. And it's great that, yeah, okay, like rascals and episodes like that don't contribute to her arc much. But it's nice to see her arc continue and how ultimately it's not enough for her. And she's, she can't square it working for the Federation. And that's kind of tragic. But in the meantime, she's just a, a feisty, you know, interesting personality. She's very businesslike, but she's got a fun side to her as well that comes out every once in a while. And of course, Michelle Forbes is great. So yeah, Roel Aaron. And number one is, of course, you know what it is because I haven't mentioned him yet. Lore. That's right. Brett Spiner is Lore. Did you think I was going to say something else? Weird. Uh, anyway, um, I love Brett Spiner. He's very talented. And it's clear that he gets sick of playing a character that can't show emotions because whenever he gets to not play that character, he just hams it up. It is it is Pigapalooza in there when he is uh, in an episode like Fistful of Datas or whatever, which, I don't know, your mileage may vary. But I like the fact that Lore is... He's a serial villain. Like, he is a drama queen. He is, you think about, like, Loki in the Avengers. Lore is the er prototype of that sort of thing. He's a full-tilt diva. And he's going to overact, and he's going to outwit you. He's going to brag about the fact that he outwitted you. He's going to make fun of you. And then he's going to threaten to set your kid on fire in front of you as well. He's ruthless. He's vicious. He's everything that Data isn't. And yet, he does see himself as his own protagonist as the good guy. He just wants what he wants and he doesn't care if he has to turn your little man into a torch to do it. You got to love him. It's lore. So I didn't say Q for my top 10 list. And the reason is, is that John Delancey is as Q, but also just John Delancey is so much a part of the fabric of the show. He's to me, he's like the eighth Beatle or the eighth crew member. Uh, he just he fits in in such a big way. He starts the show. He ends the show. I'm talking about T, uh, TNG, of course. And he shows up on DS9 and Voyager. So, I mean, come on, man. That's not a recurring guy. Like, that's a cast member. Some other uh, honorable mentions, though, would go to Joseph Sisko. Brock Peters is great as uh, as Sisko's dad. Uh, I didn't say Morn <laughs> simply because... Like, I love Morn, the guys in 92 episodes of DS9, but that's clearly just a joke by the writers. They like Mark Allen Shepard. Get that guy in there. It's funny that Morn's there. He doesn't say anything. It's not like, oh, the audience needs to see this guy again. One glaring omission would be Jeffrey Combs as Brunt, All the Wayunes, and Shran. I don't know. I kind of would consider him to be another John Delancey case. Just a little too prominent to be considered like a day player or a recurring character, but he is, of course, fantastic. I like The Traveler, played by Eric Menyuk, simply because he's part of Wesley's arc, and I like how it changes. At first, he seems to represent this amazing world and this amazing uh, potential for Wesley. And when at the, his last appearance, he represents this sort of ending of a thing for Wesley, like... A, a change, something that's sad for us, well, supposedly, that we're, we're not going to see Wesley anymore, but he's outgrown these other things. He does have this destiny, and he goes and takes off and goes to find it. And so, you know, the Traveler facilitates that. I think that's cool. I'd be remiss if I didn't, of course, mention James Darren as Vic Fontaine from DS9. Uh, it's a fun thing that they just run with. They take all the way. And you have to admit, people should really be using Quark <laughs> like they do Guinan, but if your bartender isn't as fun and as uh, 
easy to talk to as Guinan, you need a Vic Fontaine. And there he is. And of course, I couldn't get out of this without mentioning Porthos. Oh, he's so cute. Porthos. So how did I do? That's my top 10 list of my favorite recurring characters from Star Trek series. If I left any out or I'm totally wrong, let me know. Join in on the conversation. Post your list on facebook.com forward slash EIST pod or on Twitter. Tweet at us at at EIST pod and let us know what your favorite recurring characters on any Star Trek show is. You can also find those social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. We're waiting to receive your transmission. I'd also like to direct your attention to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. We work hard to bring you an entertaining and informative show every week. And if this was the 24th century where money didn't exist, we'd do it merely for the sense of satisfaction. But it's the 21st century and everything costs something, especially HTC Vives. So if you enjoy the show and want to help out, please check out our Patreon. It's at patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. We have many tiers or as we call them ranks at which you can contribute with different benefits and prizes that you can receive. In addition to knowing that you're contributing to something you love and you're part of a larger community. Anything you contribute would be appreciated and would help keep us flying. So thanks. So I promised a big announcement on this show, and here it is. I am super excited to announce that we will be having our first live taping of Enterprising Individuals this July at Convergence Con in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Convergence is possibly my favorite convention ever. It is a four-day not-for-profit con run by the fans, and it features great guests, Great panels and discussions of the shows you like and the issues that you can find in those shows. And it's a great fun party time as well. Lots of great cosplay. Lots of great people there. Last year at Convergence, I got to meet C. Robert Cargill, the writer of Sinister and the new Doctor Strange, the Marvel Doctor Strange movie. And we had a great talk about his favorite films and how he got started as a critic. He wouldn't tell me anything about Doctor Strange, though. Go figure. So we're going to be at that show on July 7th, that Friday night, taping our episode of enterprising individuals it's a special show for two reasons that i can think of well three number one live show can't wait number two we are not covering an episode of a star trek show it's a special day it's a special show and so we're covering a film and we're covering what i consider to be the best star trek film star trek 2 the wrath of khan and the third reason it's going to be great is I have a panel with me on this show of four, count them, four guests whose names I will announce on a future show. But suffice it to say that they are artists and creators and Star Trek authors, some of them in their own right. And they're going to have a lot to say about this fantastic film. So more details on this as the weeks go on. But if you want more information right now, you can go to convergence-con, that's C-O-N-V-E-R-G-E-N-C-E-C-O-N.org. There's a schedule there for the con. There's registration information, everything you want to know. If you're going to be in the Twin Cities the first weekend in July, please check us out. I'm looking forward to it. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an iTunes listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on iTunes? Make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review, would you? Give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. If you're not on iTunes, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And please leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well. We'd be eternally grateful. Okay, this is it. Your last chance to be entered into a drawing to win a Star Trek Trivial Pursuit 50th Anniversary card set, complete with Galileo Shuttlecraft card holder 
To enter, go to iTunes, search for Enterprising Individuals, find our show page, leave us a rating and a review, and you are entered for free into our drawing, which is happening in the next few days here. When you enter, it'd be a good idea to send us an email at eistpod at gmail.com. Just let me know your iTunes username so I can connect you to your entry. And that's it. So easy. Totally free. Great prize. Drawing soon. Make it so. Next time on Enterprising Individuals. The 24th century is an amazing place where Federation citizens are free from want and racism and discrimination are a thing of the past. That is, unless your genetic history threatens to ruin your career in Starfleet. Podcaster Cedius DeRaven joins me on our next show to look at a day in the life of Julian Bashir and to examine how, even in the future, the sins of the father can be visited on the son. It's Dr. Bashir, I presume, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. Prosper.